Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. I'm George Baxter. I'm Dan Krawczyk. And this is the Mental Models Podcast. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We actually got a request from a listener. Waco from Dallas, he asked that we talk about the full investment process and the risks of each step. Now, this is a great idea, and it's actually something that we do cover in our upcoming book, but we thought we would step through each of the steps of the investment process, starting with idea generation, which we'll do today, and talk about the biases associated with each of those steps. And this was a big feature of the book project. It's called Understanding Behavioral Bias. And we're recording this in uh, September of 2019. It should be out in November. One of the things we focused on is a lot of the different types of biases that people are open to as they invest. And the last chapter of the book is going to be all about these kind of tips, bringing it all together. How do biases really work in practice? So thank you, Waco, for the question. This is spot on. It's, of course, a really deep topic with a lot of complexity. So we'll be covering this in a series of episodes, the first one being on how you find investment opportunities. And we'll also talk about what types of biases people should watch out for as they look for opportunities. So uh, in any investment process, the first step typically is to basically have some sort of an idea, some sort of a potential investment that you're considering. And sourcing that can be quite a challenge. Sometimes we'll find them with a screen. So you can use any number of screening services uh, that uh, some of which are free online, or you may use something more elaborate like a Bloomberg or uh, Capital IQ. And those screening services are typically based off of either valuation metrics or perhaps some improvement in return on invested capital. A very popular screen that was popularized by the little book that beats the market by Joel Greenblatt is the Magic Formula screen. We'll provide a link to it, uh, magicformulainvesting.com, which is a mixture of current earnings yield, which is basically low P.E., and return on invested capital. And uh, it allows you to screen with, uh, based off of that and market cap uh, to be able to find various ideas. So screening is a popular way to look for ideas, but then you can monitor things like insider buying. Typically, when management buys its own stock, that can be an indication that there is some value that's unappreciated by the market. When we do that, when we look at uh, insider buying, we like to see lots of different insiders buying, and we like to see in particular, the CFO buying. Usually when the CEO is buying stock, that can just be a vote of confidence that he's showing. The CEOs tend to be the most, I guess what you say, they're the ones that drink the most Kool-Aid because they have to. They might be the most single biased person within the company. Yes, and they should be. They should be. They should be the person that is wildly over-optimistic about the prospects of the business because they have to basically motivate all those people that are involved with the business to have the dream, have the vision, charge the hill. Uh, But a CFO tends to have a little bit more of a shrewd eye, tends to be more focused on the numbers themselves. So we pay a lot of attention to purchases made by CFOs. We like those more than CEOs. Uh, But large purchases are better than small purchases, and purchases among a lot of different insiders are quite good. We tend to ignore them if they're less than $100,000, uh, because 
So that tends to be just a token to try to get investors' attention. But that's another idea sourcing methodology that we'll use. You can also find circumstances where you're analyzing one company and you find that maybe that company is suffering from really significant cost increases associated with one of their inputs, which could signal that maybe the company that's providing them with whatever that input is, whatever that material is, maybe that company or the industry that that company is in could be a beneficiary. So sometimes when analyzing one company, it'll lead to another. Another thing we've talked about that maybe is relevant to individual investors is just keeping your eyes open within society. So trying to see a trend that you're noticing, whether it's just consumer buying or something about a, an industry that uh, looks to you like it's occurring and maybe the market won't yet appreciate that as an opportunity. Yeah, this is the Peter Lynch approach, and I think it's fantastic. A lot of times investment is made a little bit more complex than it needs to be. I have a new one that uh, we've seen that I've noticed from my daughters. It's the whole Vesco girl trend. Uh, with I had no idea what George was talking <laughs> about when he first brought this up. I'm not the most in touch with uh, this scene, though. So I'm not either, but I did notice that my, uh, my girls, they asked me for this uh, hydro flask, which is a water bottle, and popularity is derived from this internet celebrity, Vesco Girl, and she has different characteristics. She's very concerned about the environment, so she won't use plastic straws that could end up in the nose of a turtle. She drinks out of a hydro flask, which is made by a company called Helen of Troy, and uh, this hydro flask allows her to be able to avoid plastic bottles, all right, because she's constantly drinking out of a water bottle. She wears vans. Anyway, so this became very popular among both of my daughters in the last couple of months. And I'll speak to this from being on a university campus. There's an enormous move away from the water bottle trend. While you can still find them in vending machines, all of the water fountains have been fitted out with these water bottle fill stations, and they'll sometimes even have the a little counter for the number of bottles that you've saved by continually using that. I started to use this myself with a Sewell bottle, that's S apostrophe W-E-L-L, which is maybe the, uh, the slightly less in touch uh, adult version of this. Uh, Hydro flask? The uh, reusable water bottle. Well, and you can see this. These types of trends come up all the time. LaCroix was one that we capitalized on uh, sometime back. There was a company called National Beverage that came out with sparkling water. That ended up being a great long and then a great short when we saw a lot of competition come in uh, in the form of Waterloo and the Pepsi alternative. So, And then, of course, Coca-Cola bought Topo Chico, which is a sparkling water competitor. So you know, it can be helpful on both the long and the short side to generate ideas based off of what you observe in your life and your job. Uh, if you find a great product, that you would pay more for relative to a substitute because you like that product, that could be a great investment idea. What's also kind of nice about that is it's like you're doing your own field research. While you can be biased in that, if you're seeing something that looks successful, others are probably seeing it as well. But it's a little bit different than getting the idea from someone else, especially news sources. There's something called the salience bias, which uh, simply refers to the fact that certain information is uh, able to cut through the noise more effectively. And we have a tendency to over-attend to uh, emotionally salient movements in society or trends that look like they're uh, very exciting. We, we often have a bias to over-represent that position. And maybe this feeds the optimism bias as well, which is where we think things are going to work out well. We like a sensible narrative. And so those two biases, salience sort of can 
overemphasize certain obvious opportunities over less obvious ones. So you have to be a bit careful there. And then the optimism bias is, of course, thinking that things will work out um, sort of irrationally, just believing too much in an idea. So you have to be a little bit circumspect there. Make sure that uh, you're not getting carried away with your own narrative building. And remember that it may not work out. That's right. And with respect to salience, one of the things you're looking for, when you, particularly when you have an idea that you're coming across, you want something that's not discounted. And so if it's on the news and there is a lot of noise associated with it, there's probably a short-term momentum opportunity there, but it's very short-term. It's probably likely to result in a, a discount that it is greater than appropriate. There are some exceptions. There are some situations where whatever the drumbeat is a signal for a very big problem and things change for a long period of time, but that's typically not the case. People tend to, their attention tends to shift to something else. The news cycle moves on. And then whatever was being discounted as a result of the chaos that's being uh, talked of that is in the news and most, most prevalent, that tends to pass. So that's one issue is salience that can be a problem when you're talking about idea sourcing. You don't want to go and pick up Barron's and look at the most recent article about why something is great and then it paints a very elaborate picture uh, and then you jump on the bandwagon and invest in the same idea that everybody else is investing because you know typically that enthusiasm can wane. Another problem we've talked about before with getting ideas from other people is that uh, that opens you to a class of biases. Maybe the most challenging aspect of that is if you're inheriting an idea or borrowing it from someone else, they probably have their own biases that they were subject to as they selected it. And since you didn't do the work yourself, you'll be completely blind to whatever biases they may have undergone or, or dealt with. And so in a sense, you're, you're choosing to invest. It's like you're a follower who doesn't have the GPS on or doesn't have a roadmap. And so it's going to be a lot harder to see things going against the investment simply because you haven't done the work. There are also problems with selecting ideas from other people. If you really believe in someone's approach and you start to see them as a guru and put them on a pedestal, there's a fallacy called the hot hand effect. It derives from uh, work that Amos Tversky, the legendary cognitive bias researcher had done on basketball shot making. And you see this headline every single March when the uh, NCAA tournament happens or when the NBA finals happen that so-and-so has the hot hand and they're, they're hot tonight and they came off the bench and they, they're, they're not missing any shots. And so it's like whenever someone experiences a streak, they seem particularly talented in the moment. And Amos Tversky and his colleagues sort of debunked this phenomenon in basketball. And the answer really is to do longer range statistics that just by chance, sometimes someone's going to be sort of on a streak. But it's not necessarily indicative that they're, they have some magical prowess. Uh, we tend to like the idea that someone is exceptionally talented. Borrowing one of their ideas feels like the right thing to do. But um, you have to be wary of those sort of um, hot hand effects or over-trust in someone because they've been right before that they're, of course, correct now. Now, there's some remedial techniques that you can use when you do get an idea from someone else. The key, of course, is that you need to do your own work. If you get an idea from someone else, start your process off by trying to disprove their thesis approach it as a negative as opposed to a positive. And it actually could end up being something where you end up finding a good opportunity going the opposite direction 
of what the person was pitching you simply because if they're out there and they are sharing an idea with a number of people, you're not special. Uh, For instance, say you get this idea from a sell-side analyst and you do find a significant flaw, then if you're right, uh, you have a whole contingency of people that will have to start swimming in the other way once they discover the flaws that you identify. Conversely, if you just jump on the bandwagon and you go and subscribe to whatever this narrative is that is being pitched to you, you have to know that there's probably a large contingency of people who have also not done as much work that are swimming with the herd that will likely get shaken out uh, at the first sign of trouble, and they will be folks that will be adding incremental selling pressure as you try to seek the exits as well if there are negative developments that were not anticipated. And the timing is so critical here. Um, Another challenge that comes with idea ownership, in some ways an advantage of borrowing an idea from someone else, is that the person that generates the idea often will experience what's known as the endowment effect where they simply become too attached to the idea because they they sort of own it and they're too close to it. And that leads to a problem with knowing when to uh, walk away from the idea. There's some advantage if you haven't done all the work yourself, you haven't built up this personal history with the position, that in some ways insulates you from uh, that tendency to hang on too long. Of course, if you're going with the crowd in lockstep, that's not going to be a very good opportunity. So beware of the endowment bias when you do generate your own idea that you might feel too much uh, ownership of it. And it leads to loss aversion, which is this tendency to, to just act irrationally, the fear of, of losing out and the, the optimism that something's going to turn around kind of feeds the endowment effect. And uh, so getting too attached to the position is definitely a problem that leads to several biases. Within the context of an investment club or an investment team, one way you can get around that is basically whoever it is that sources the idea may not be the person that you would have actually do the work on the analysis that comes subsequently to the sourcing. So that is a possibility. In any event, it's going to be important and it's efficient to try to stay within what Buffett calls your circle of competence. You want to try to source ideas in areas where you have either studied the industry beforehand uh, and you have a pretty significant knowledge of the background, or that you feel like you have the capability to do the work to get up to speed. It's much more efficient to kind of swim in waters that you've been in before by staying with industries that you're familiar with. It can be very dangerous to go and step into an industry that you don't have familiarity with or business that uh, It has a fair amount of technical expertise that would be necessary to understand its dynamics. Because when things go wrong, you have a difficult time explaining them, which will typically lead you to effectively step away from the stock and incur a loss. Whereas if you understand the dynamics, either A, you may be less hesitant to exit a position because you understand that whatever assumptions you made that were necessary for you to be able to be confident in the outcome that those may be undermined, so you can exit more rapidly, or you may find that uh, whatever issue that has arisen is transitory, and that is something that you need to stick with because you understand the issue that's arising and why people are reacting the way they are. So I guess one way to summarize that is do some deep work on the position and uh, don't go too far out of your lane when it comes to expertise. So this is probably a good place to wrap up. I definitely recommend you check out our previous two episodes on groupthink biases, where we covered a lot of those same sorts of challenges that arise 
when you're borrowing an idea from someone else, or when you're working with other people and you start to uh, become an echo chamber and some distortions will arise based on too much uh, in-group talking about a particular idea. So in this episode, just to, to wrap up, we have talked about idea sourcing. There are many places that one can find ideas. Some good things to look out for are avoid the salience bias by too much attention to news coverage and doing what the crowd is doing. Keep your eyes open for those possible opportunities that you happen to notice, uh, businesses that you like or trends that you see emerging. We talked about the water bottle and beverages changes that have occurred. And there are a variety of places one could get an edge in in that uh, area. Look at the company uh, trading, um, specifically CFO trading, George recommends, rather than CEO trading. Just going a little bit further to question some of those indicators, not just simply take uh, the advice of others. And uh, we talked a little about some of the biases that come about when you borrow ideas from others, um, the hot hand bias, a variety of groupthink biases also can come into effect. And to, to avoid some of those, uh, just doing your own work and sticking within your circle of competence, as Warren Buffett says. So I think we'll wrap up here and look for part two. Once you've got an idea, you've got to do some vetting of that idea, and we'll cover that uh, next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe and thank you for listening.